All right. How was your afternoon? Good, good. How many of you actually went to the zoo? Okay. <laughs> How was it? <laughs> Tiring? <laughs> How were the animals? Did anybody, did any of the animals bite back? They did? Okay, so we, I had a, a, uh, a crazy sheep. Uh, so I was going around, and so I had uh, the feed in my hand. So uh, Pastor Steve got me some feed. So I was feeding the sheep, and, and so I had it on my hand here, and he was licking it. And then I had the other hand with the feed. And instead of going to my hand, he actually grabbed the other feet, and he, he attacked my hand. And he took it and he started biting it. And so I said, wow, this is a vicious sheep here in Australia. So I was, I was a little intimidated. I thought the kangaroos were going to be fierce, but it's the sheep that were really fierce. So anyway, that was yesterday. Uh, anybody else? How, how was the hike down to the beach? Everybody said it was longer than they thought. Is that true? <laughs> and it was hotter than they thought. So anyway, you guys hopefully are okay. Um, you know, this is the first time ever in my life I've ever preached at 4 o'clock. Usually uh, the retreats that, that I go to, they, uh, you know, they, speak, they have a morning session. All afternoon is play, and then they have dinner, and then they have an evening session. So this is the first time doing it at, at 4 o'clock. So actually, I like it because then that means we, at the evening time, we could, we could just hang out and do other things. So anyway, um, it's great to be here. Uh, my second session today is uh, continuing on the theme of what are some of the essential things that a church uh, plant needs to have. And, and this morning we talked about we need to be a church, uh, really looking down and making sure that, that we are a, a church that deals with some of the challenges. And so this morning, um, I, wa I wanted to address some of the issues of, of discouragement, despair that a lot of people go through. And today, we're going to talk about, on a positive level, what are the things that, that will help us reach our community and that would define who we are as a church. And by the way, uh, before I lead us in a word of prayer together, um, I, I am just so thankful. You guys, you know, instead of preaching this message, you guys have demonstrated this message to me. Uh, you guys are a tremendous group of servants. So I, I really thank you for, um, this is like, uh, I have to, I mean, I'm not saying this because I'm speaking to you. I don't say this to every group, but you guys are some of the nicest people I've ever met. So, <laughs> so thank you for your uh, hospitality and just being, <laughs> yeah, Steve is happy. So, <laughs> but thank you for your, for hospitality, generosity. Uh, I'm just so blessed. I'm, I'm actually more blessed than you guys are, I think. So, so thank you so much for letting me be here. All right, let me pray. Father, it's been a, a full day already. There's been so much that, that you have done already. Uh, maybe our minds are filled with all these different things that, that have happened already. Uh, maybe there are deep areas of despair and and. A discouragement that you're working through and and maybe lord just the activities that have happened so far uh, have helped us to have a different perspective whether that be taking a long hike or or uh, staying with the children and going to a zoo or whatever that has happened this afternoon uh, you are doing a work in us and i just thank you for this group lord uh they are and this is an amazing group lord and i am thankful for the people that you have called here. But Father, we know that, that our mission is not just to be nice people. Our mission is to be a follower of you and, and to live our lives, to demonstrate to the world around us uh, who you are. And, and Lord, I pray that tonight's message would remind us of our mission, that the world would know 
what a follower of Jesus is like is by the way in which we serve one another and we serve you. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And with that, Father, uh, we pray that we would become better at serving you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, as we begin, um, I want to do something for you guys, okay? Uh, this is, I, I don't know how many uh, uh, camp speakers have ever done this, but I'm going to take a picture of you, okay? I'm going to take a picture of all of you. I want to remember you uh, when I go home. So here, you're, so look at me, and uh, so we're going to have to kind of uh, squeeze in together. Uh, this is the, the most unique uh, perspective, okay? So it's going to be the perspective, <laughs> I'm going to use the pan feature, okay, so that way I can get everybody. Oh, yeah. okay, all right, you guys ready? All right, here we go. Uh, so what do you say here in Australia? Cheese, cheese or kimchi? Kimchi, okay, okay, here we go, and I'll, I'll, I'll mail, email the C, okay, one, two, three, Steve, <laughs> all right, Shanghai, <laughs> you know, There's a reason why I did that. Um, one of the things that, that I think is so important whenever you do any type of, of uh, reflection is that I love taking pictures. And I think many of you in this room uh, probably love taking pictures. I know some of you, uh, wherever you go, uh, you take a picture of your food, okay? Uh, you take, <laughs> actually, we have breakfast together. Uh, and, 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 and you know what? A lot of people do that. You know, we take a little picture of our food. And, and, and so we had a, um, a little food, and, and you take a picture of that. Or you take a picture of an event, or you take a picture of an activity. This afternoon, we all took a picture together as a group. Now, the question is, why do we take pictures? Why do we take pictures? Well, what pictures help us to do is to remember, right? It allows us, it's almost like pictures are what I call digital time machines. It allows us to go back in time to that place where we took that picture. So we go back and say, oh, that's what I ate, or that's what I did, or this is what this person was like. And you know, one thing about pictures that I love more than anything is that it allows me to relive that experience, okay? You know, uh, as a parent, probably the most significant experience in my life is the having of my kids. And so what I want to show you is I want to show you a, a picture history of my family. So the babies that I have, we have twin daughters. Uh, their name is Kristen Cross. The very first picture I took of them or we took was a, a sonogram. So you see uh, there are two little eggs over there. And that's my first picture of my daughter. Well, a few months later, or oh, nine months later, they were actually born. And this is the very first picture of them coming out of the womb, right? Uh, they are now born. That's, that's my, one of my daughters, Carissa. Uh, four uh, pounds something. I don't know how to translate that. <laughs> and so after they were born, they started to grow up. And this is one of their first pictures as a little baby girl. You know, now, it, 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 you know, that's actually our kitchen sink. And that's how we used to give them a bath. And that's Carissa. And then as they grew up, that's the other daughter, Kristen. Uh, and, and I remember as they started growing, by the way, the Korean custom is that when they're a baby, you shave their head. Do you guys still do that here? 
No, no, good. Don't do it. It doesn't work. <laughs> they used to tell us, like, if you shave your head, it grows back thicker, but it really doesn't. But anyway, uh, so, so those are my daughters. And then as they started growing up a little bit more, and so this is when they're happy. Uh, and then uh, we are, uh, there's a baseball team nearby called the uh, California Angels, Los Angeles Angels. So we're a little family. And then this is their first year birthday. And, you know, you, have, you celebrate that here, right? It's an important mark on your first year that is like, uh, it, back in the uh, olden days, uh, that was the mark of survival. Nowadays, it's just, just a birthday party. And then this is when they were uh, in elementary school. And then uh, as they grew uh, up, this is when they were in upper elementary. And then this is when they graduated from middle school. So that are my daughters. Now, why do I show you this picture? I show you this picture because it reminds me, every time I look back, it reminds me of, of a picture of who, who they were and just the whole history of how they developed. And, and, and it transports me back and I, 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 I celebrate and I just reflect and on, on, on just how quickly time has flied, uh, flown in life. Well, you know, as I thought about that in my own life, I said, what if, if we want to remember something about Jesus, what if we had a special phone that would allow us to be transported to the time of Jesus? What kind of picture will we take? A picture that would allow us to sort of, of uh, remember, but also sort of uh, kind of reflect at, on, on who he is and what he has done. And so maybe I'm going to, I want to make a few suggestions. Maybe a picture that we might take of Jesus is the picture uh, that's found in, in uh, Mark chapter 4. It's one of my favorite pictures. It's a picture of Jesus uh, on a boat. Uh, you guys know the story, right? Jesus is on a boat, and it's been a long day. Let me see if that's on there. Yeah. Uh, Jesus had been preaching the whole day, and at the end of the preaching, he, he is exhausted. So he gets into the boat, and he tells his disciples to row. And as he's resting, the, the boat is sailing across the Sea of Galilee. And in the middle of the trip, the wind starts to blow. And as the wind starts to blow, the waves start to sort of rock the boat back and forth. And, and the winds even blow even harder. And, and the waves start to come into the boat. Disciples are frantic. They're, they're, they're freaking out and they're saying to Jesus, 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 wake up. We're going to drown. Let's, let's bail the water out of here. And at that moment, Jesus sort of rubs his eyes. He stands up on the boat. He raises up his hands. And he says, peace, be still. And at that moment, the turmoil, the chaos comes down. And maybe it's at that moment that you're in the boat with Jesus. Wouldn't it be amazing if you could take a picture of Jesus? Of Jesus raising his hands, calming everything around you. Because when you look at that picture and, and you take that picture and you put it as a poster in your, in your wall, you are reminded of the power of God. That he is more powerful than the winds, the waves, the storms of life. And whenever you look at that picture, it reminds you that God is more powerful than any circumstance of your life. Wouldn't that be a great picture? But maybe some of you would take a different picture. Not uh, of Jesus on a boat, but maybe Jesus on a rock. It's a scene found in Matthew chapter 18, and it's one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible. Uh, this afternoon, many of you took the kids out to... Um, the zoo and you know one of the best ministries I think to invest in is children's ministry because they really are uh, the future of, of, of any church 
But one thing that was interesting in the, in the times of Jesus was that children were considered less than people. And the disciples uh, did not really want the children to be around Jesus. And so Jesus is preaching at a park. And as he's preaching at the park, he's declaring the kingdom of God. And the little children, the first thing they do is they come to Jesus. And they're running to Jesus. And Jesus takes the little child and he lifts the child up in the air. And he starts to laugh and giggle with these kids. And, and the disciples don't like that because they're bothering Jesus. So Jesus goes to the parents and he goes to the kids. Kids, go away. The master can't be bothered with, with these. And Jesus does something interesting. He rebukes his disciples. And he says, bring these children to me. For these are the kingdom of God. For this is the kingdom of God. And to go into the kingdom of God, you have to be like a little child. Wow. Jesus is sitting on a rock playing with little children. And maybe when you see that picture, it reminds you something about the nature of God. That God cares for the most vulnerable. That God cares for the little ones. That God cares for those who society doesn't care for. And so when you see Jesus sitting on a rock and you see that little baby, it reminds you something about the nature of Jesus. That our God is a God who cares for those who society doesn't care for. What a great image to have. But there's a third picture that some of you may take. It's not a picture of Jesus on a boat. Or Jesus on a rock. Maybe it's a picture of Jesus on the cross. Probably the most powerful image. We celebrated Good Friday a few weeks ago. And you always think of that image where at 9 o'clock in the morning, it's completely dark. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And they have nailed his, his, his body upon the cross. He is bleeding. And literally, he is, he is in front of all his disciples. He is suffering. He is crying out in agony. And even the disciples are, are hiding in fear. And it's now completely dark. It's right in the middle of the afternoon. And, and it's almost like pitch dark evening. Because the sin of mankind has, has engulfed the world. And as Jesus is suffering and crying, maybe you come out and, and you take a picture of Jesus hanging on the cross. And as he's crying out for his last breath, he's screaming out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at that moment, as you take that picture, you're reminded of one thing. You're reminded of the forgiveness of God. That God loved you so much that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When you look at the picture of Jesus on the cross, it reminds you of the love of God, that God would go at no expense to die for you. All three images are powerful reminders of the character and nature of God. Jesus on a boat, Jesus on a rock, or Jesus on the cross. But there's a picture that we could take of Jesus that very few people would even think about. But I believe this is the picture that we need to have of Jesus on our everyday life. And it's not a picture that, that we would normally think of when we think of Jesus. But yet it is the most powerful image that he wants to take of us because this is the reflection of what Jesus wants us to be like. And it's simply a picture of Jesus with a towel. Now you say, Jesus with a towel? What, what, what significance is that? Because embodied in that imagery of, of Jesus with a towel is something very significant. It's the nature of what the Christian life is, all, uh, is, is designed to be. That Jesus did not call us to be kings. He calls us to be servants. To be great in the kingdom of God is not to be first. It's to be last. 
And I believe that the missing ingredient in our culture of the church is that the church wants power, just like the world. And Jesus says this, if you have power, you're, you're going to lose spiritual power. That instead of having power, what God calls us to have is a spirit of humility and of serving. What if the picture that Jesus took of you is simply a picture of a towel? And so today we're going to be looking at the story found in John chapter 13. And I want to share with you three things in that story that I think will help your church become effective in reaching the community around you. That this is the attitude that God calls us to have as believers. It is a picture of Jesus simply with a towel. So if you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13, and I want to read you this passage because I think in this passage is embodied the last thing that Jesus reminds his disciples to do. In John chapter 13, the context is simple. Jesus is about to go to, uh, to the cross. And before he goes to the cross, he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And then it says in verse uh, uh, 1, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and to go back to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Here now we're seeing Jesus' expression of love. Verse 2. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Later, after that, he put, poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. In this story is a powerful image of what a Christian should look like. That we should not be marked by this, this attitude of arrogance that we know everything, but rather the posture that God calls us is to serve. Now, here's the thing about serving that I want to talk about today. I believe that really uh, the mark of, of this church, the chapel here in Sydney, is that you guys all need to have this attitude of being a servant. But the problem with serving is that sometimes we have the wrong motives. We think serving is, is sometimes we do it with the wrong way or the wrong mentality. So what I want to talk to you about is this, that if you're truly going to be an impact in this community and influence, that all of you need to serve one another and serve the world. But how do you do that? Well, there are three things that I want to focus on. Number one is this, you need to have the right motivation. That the motivation for a servant has to be love. Notice this in verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that his time had come to leave the world and go to the Father. And he says this, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, the most important word is love. Now you think about this from a Christian perspective. That we, we've all memorized John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We know that at the very nature and the heart of God is love. And this is what separates Christianity from every other religion. Most religions are about duty. About obedience. Following the rules and, and, and precepts of the teacher. Which God says in Christianity, no it's not about that. 
That's secondary. That the primary driving force of, of our faith is God's love for us. That while we were still sinners, he died for us. But here's the other thing. We often think of love as, as the primary motive for Jesus' coming. But here's the other thing, is that love is also the primary motive for our living. That God has called us to love one another. And you know, as I think about that, it really makes an amazing difference in the, how, uh, in the way we live. Because ultimately what love is, is, the expression of love, and here's the problem in our culture, is that we have defined love in a limited sense in our culture. That love in our worldly context is how we feel toward one another. And in, in some ways, it's, it's, it's even lower than that. Now it's just a physical expression. But the biblical understanding of love was not about how we feel toward each other. But rather, love in the Bible was about how we acted toward one another. That love primarily was our willingness to give up my rights for your rights. In other words, we were to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of others. And the key attribute of love in Scripture is ultimate sacrifice. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friend. That's the greatest expression of love. Now you think about this, you know, whenever you watch a love story, whether it's on the movies or you read a book, you know, one of the key themes of any love story is the willingness of somebody to give up something for the sake of somebody else. That's love. Uh, this actually happened uh, in, um, after the Korean War, uh, there was a, a USS ba a battleship called USS Pueblo that was captured by the North Koreans. It was an American ship and 82 of the surviving members uh, were thrown into brutal captivity. In one particular instance, 13 of the men were called to sit in a rigid, uh, uh, seated, like seat assignment in a rigid circle. And, and they were to come, and they were the officers of, of, of the crew. As they were called to sit in that circle, the uh, North Korean soldier would break into, the, into this room, and he would start beating in the guy in chair number one. The other 12 couldn't move or they would get beaten. So they saw this guy getting beaten. Next day, they were assigned the exact same position. Same thing, North Korean soldier came, started beating the guy in chair number one. The other guys realized something that night. If this guy is get, gets beaten again, he's gonna eventually die. And actually, that was the plan. It was that they were gonna kill one, two, three, all the way around. One of the soldiers said something. He said, tomorrow, if he gets beaten, he's going to die. So here's what I want to do. I want to take his place. I want to change uniforms with him, knowing that he would get beaten. And so the next day came, and, and they switched uniforms. And the guy in chair number one was a different guy, but the North Korean soldier didn't know. He came in and started beating on guy number one. Next day, somebody else volunteered. And, and day after day, somebody else sat in that chair, knowing that they would get beaten. But that story reminds me of something because at the end of that, they couldn't beat the love out of these guys. Eventually, all 13 survived. And I think to myself, that's the role that God has called us, right? That's the role that Jesus called us. He died in our place. We deserve to die. But instead of us dying, Jesus died in our place. That's the attribute of true love. So in some sense, for us as Christians, that's what God calls us to do. 
that true love is our willingness to give up myself for the sake of others. And that should be our motivation. But here's the problem. That many of us, instead of uh, expressing love while we serve, the other part is, instead of uh, love, we have the other part, which is guilt. And I think the primary driving force for a lot of us serving in the church, and this goes back to our Korean identity, for many of us, Asian identity, is we're sort of put in a position to serve. That we don't do it out of the sense of gratitude for what God has done for us. But instead, we serve because the pastor asked us to. And he made us feel guilty. Not you, Steve. <laughs> I remember a story of this pastor. As the Sunday school was growing, they had a hard time filling the fourth grade four Sunday school class. So the pastor would go up on the pulpit and ask, how many of you would uh, want to volunteer uh, f to teach at, uh, and he, had, he gave a name, Johnny's uh, Sunday school class. And everybody in the congregation, nobody would say anything. So the week afterwards, the pastor would say, how many of you want to serve in fourth grade? Sunday? Nobody said anything. So finally, the pastor used his, his, his most strategic trick. So the following Sunday, he invited Johnny to the, to the stage. So he brings poor Johnny up on the stage. And, and now Johnny's standing there. And so the pastor says this, ladies and gentlemen, poor Johnny. He doesn't have a teacher. He's going to go to hell. <laughs> All because he doesn't have a teacher. How many of you want Johnny to go to hell? If we don't have a teacher, poor Johnny's going to go to hell. And, and, and he pinches Johnny in the back. Johnny starts to scream. And finally, a, a man in the back raises his hand and says, Okay, I, I hate kids, but I'll serve in fourth grade Sunday school. It, that story reminds me of something. It reminds me is so often the motivation for why we serve is maybe misplaced. That we serve because, again, somebody asked us and we're just being nice people. But the true motivation for service has to be what Jesus has done for us. And you know what happens when we recognize the grace and the love of God in our own lives? That that naturally becomes a catalyst for us to love and serve others. I remember um, one of my favorite stories of all time. Um, a few years ago, actually, Hugh Jackman starred in this role, Les Miserables. You guys ever seen that? Les Miserables is a story by Victor Hugo. It was written many years ago. It was made into a Broadway musical. And I remember watching the Broadway musical. It was one of my favorite uh, musicals of all time. But the story is a powerful story because it centers around a guy named Jean Valjean. And Jean Valjean happens to be a, just a, a, a typical peasant. And one day his nephew is starving. So what he does is he goes to a bread shop, breaks the window, steals a piece of bread, takes it home. A, a, a compassionate thing to do, but that's against the law. So the police, they arrest him, they find him, and they put him in jail for 17 years. He tries to escape throughout those years. And ultimately, at the end of those 17 years, he's, a, he's released. But there's something about prison that hardens a person. He comes out of prison, is, an, is a vengeful, bitter man. The government gives him a, a piece of paper and a, a basically a mark that marks him permanently as a former prisoner. They give him some money, but this money is worthless. He goes to a, a, a pub and they won't accept it. He goes to a, a, a place, a, an inn, no, nobody accepts it. Finally, he's destitute. Nobody's willing to accept him because what he has done in society. So finally, out of desperation, he sees to, his, to the side, he sees the bishop's house. 
house next to a church. So he knocks on the house of the bishop. And as he knocks on the house of the bishop, the bishop opens the door. And he sees this poor criminal. Immediately this guy's thinking, the bishop's going to usher me away. Uh, but the bishop does something amazing. The bishop welcomes him in. Not only does he welcome him in, he calls his maid to fix a, a banquet for him. And he goes, come on in, please, have a seat. And, 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 he, and, and, and uh, the bishop says, bring out the best silverware. And so they bring out the best silverware. And he's feasting with this bishop. And he's just like, doesn't know what's going on. And at the end of the meal, he says, please stay. I have a, I have a guest room for you. Stay the night. So during the night, Jean Valjean goes upstairs and he sleeps. In the middle of the night, he has this violent dream. And he says, because his heart has been so hardened by, by what has happened, he runs downstairs and he takes as much of the silverware he can to start a new life. And he runs out of the house of the bishop. As he's running out of the bishop's house, the police catch up to him. And they grab him and they drag him to the house and they knock on the door. And the bishop opens the door. And the police officers say, this man, we saw him running out of your house. And the bishop's response was amazing. He said, this man, he didn't steal. All these things I gave to him. He goes, you ran in such haste, you forgot the most important, most valuable things. And they were on, on the mantle of the fireplace were these two candlesticks. And he took these two candlesticks and he says, here, you forgot these. And the police left. And at that moment, the most powerful scene in the book, Jean Valjean falls on his knees. And he says, why did you do this for me? And the bishop looks at him and he says this, today I have bought your soul for God. You are not your own. I'm going to demonstrate to you, and in his own words, he's going to demonstrate what he had never experienced in his own life. True grace and true love. That moment transforms Jean Valjean. He takes a silverware, eventually sells it, becomes mayor, and, 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 and the rest is history. But, but he always kept those two candlesticks of his reminder of the power of God's grace. And you know what? When I think of that story, the reason Jean Valjean changed was because he recognized that he had been given something he didn't deserve. And here's the power of the gospel, that when we serve those who are around us, what we are demonstrating to them is not because they're worthy, but because simply that they're loved. And I think the greatest way in which we can, we can make an impact in our culture is by serving with, with love as our primary motivation. Now, the irony in this story is there's a contrast between two people. There's Jesus and there's Judas. Notice this in the next verse, verse 3. Verse 2. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Isn't that an interesting contrast in verse one you have Jesus who's willing to give his life for the world to show them the full extent of his love the willingness to serve others and then you have Judas who's going to betray Jesus who's going to steal who's going to take a bribe John Stott who's a pastor in England said this and I think it's a very stark commentary on society he says this we are either in the position of Jesus where we sacrifice ourselves to serve others, or we are in the position of Judas where we sacrifice others to serve ourselves. Do 
Did you get that? We are either in the position of Jesus of sacrificing himself to save others, or we are in the position of Judas where we sacrifice others to serve ourselves. I think there are many people in the church who are serving, but not are serving so that they are genuinely doing it so that they can, out of love and grace, but they're doing it because they want something. I remember growing up in a Korean church. Uh, we used to joke about this all the time, and, and it's, the sad reality is that it's probably true, that there are many people who became leaders in the church, not because they were godly men and women. They became leaders because they had a lot of money. <laughs> and they would buy their way into uh, positions of prominence. And I used to always think about that. Say, so why do these people, how can they, um, because they wrote a big check, they became deacons, they became elders. And there was something wrong about that. No wonder the Korean church in, 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 in the U.S. And, and maybe in other places have always kind of fractured and split. Maybe at the very core, our motivation was wrong. That somehow we wanted a position not demonstrate love. So let me ask you, why do you do what you do? Is it because God has loved you so much that you're willing to love him back and the way you will love is to do whatever God calls you to do? If you have the attitude and the motivation for service, you will find joy in what you do. But if you serve out of guilt or you serve out of position, then what you're going to experience is you're going to feel burnout. You're going to feel discouragement and sometimes bitterness. Uh, some of the people that have left the church at one time were, were men and women who have at one time serving in, in positions, maybe even pastors. And, 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 and instead of doing it out of this genuine love of God, of what God has done for him, they do it because there's some ulterior motive. And when something happens in their life, you know what they end up doing? They leave the church. It's so sad. Steve and I know of many people like that. At one time who were leading congregation who, who now wouldn't even step foot in the church. And part of that, I think, goes back to the very heart of what the gospel is. That the gospel is not about you deserving anything. The gospel is what God has done for you out of the grace that he has demonstrated his love for you. But the second thing that is important is not only do you need to have the right motivation, you need to have the right mindset. The right mindset is what we call humility. And in this next verse, this is kind of almost... Uh, to me, it's a little humorous because in many ways, I see myself as Peter. So Peter doesn't understand what's going on. Um, and by the way, let me give you the context of this, okay? Uh, they're having this last meal, and it's Passover. And in the Passover meal, uh, you know, they had a service in which they would drink wine first, and then they would eat a, a piece of bread, and, and then they would drink wine again, and then they would eat a meat together, the, the sacrificed lamb. And so that was actually part of the Passover. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 20, or, or in the book of Exodus. But here's the thing. Before you ate a Passover meal, you know what you had to do? You had to be clean. You, at least because the streets were filled with dirt and you had open-toed shoes and sandals, everybody's feet was dirty. So whenever you would come and have a meal, the first thing that you would do was to wash the feet. That would just be customary. So if I invited you to, to my house for a Passover meal, the first thing I would do to demonstrate hospitality is to make sure that you were clean before the evening meal. Now, the person that would wash the feet was always the lowest in the family. Either a house servant or maybe even a child or somebody who was young. They were sort of from a social class level. They were sort of kind of the, the bottom of the rung. 
And so here's the point. They're having the Passover meal, and nobody has taken the initiative to wash the feet. In other words, people are kind of looking around saying, ah, who's going to do it? I'm not, maybe Peter, maybe you should, no, maybe John. And they're just all looking to point fingers. And so it's at that point Jesus is going to teach them the lesson. So what he does is, is as they, he got up in verse 4, and he took off his clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. You know what that demonstrates? It demonstrates a mindset of humility. That he was willing to go to the very bottom to bring us up. This is the attitude of a servant. Notice but Peter's response, and I love this in verse of, uh, this is what I call the difference between true humility and false humility. True humility is willing to come alongside of somebody and to serve them. False humility is pretending you don't need to be served or just acting kind of, you know, in an arrogant way. Uh, this happens when you're, uh, you know, some of you are very smart, I bet, and you've done really well in a test, and, um, and everybody else has failed. And somebody comes up, oh, you know, you did so well. And he says, oh, no, no, I didn't do well. You know, it's this false humility. I, I think you know, some people told me, like in Australia, there's this sort of that kind of attitude, right? And it's very common in a lot of Korean uh, churches or Korean attitude. It's sort of uh, putting myself down. So Simon Peter does the same thing. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing. But later you will understand. What Jesus is trying to teach Peter is there's a spiritual significance to what he's doing. He's not just washing their feet. He wants to teach them a lesson about something much more significant. Then in verse 9, Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but wash my hands and my head as well. Now, of course, that wasn't customary, right? He's, he's saying, wash everything. And Jesus says, look, look, I'm not here to give you a, a bath. Because as a person who has... Uh, uh, who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet, and the whole body is clean. You are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew it was going to betray him. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he says, do you understand what I've done for you? I think the second mindset that is cr critical is that you need to have a mindset of a servant. Of humility. And humility is this. It doesn't mean walking around and putting ourselves down. Humility is not sort of like putting ourselves in a, in a position, of, oh, no, I'm not smart. I'm not, you know, oh, I, I, I don't deserve. That's, that's not humility. It's not to be a doormat. What humility is, is, is somebody who does two things, who doesn't think about himself, but thinks of the other person first. So in other words, a humble person could be a CEO, could be the top prominent uh, politician, could be in a position of honor, and still be the most humble person. Why? Because their job is to elevate others. I like what Andrew Murray says. A humble person is not one who thinks lowly of himself, he simply does not think of himself at all. You know what a true humble person is? A true humble person is somebody who's willing to go at their expense to lift somebody else up. So Jesus says that, right? In, or Paul says that in Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus became a servant so that he could serve us. I think so often we think of humility as just putting ourselves down, but that's not it. Humility is elevating others. I'll give you a couple of illustrations. I remember um, uh, one time I was um, uh, leading a youth uh, camp in a, a church in Michigan. And in this youth camp, uh, so Michigan is a state in the middle of the U.S. 
and, um, and I brought some college students, a Korean college students, uni students, uh, to be camp counselors for these youth kids. And so we were doing all this Bible camp at this church. And toward the end, um, we're having uh, sort of a dinner together. And it was a great time. And I remember um, toward the end, one of the college uh, girls, uh, uni girls, runs out of the kitchen. And she runs out and she's weeping. She's crying. And I'm saying, oh, oh what happened? And, and, and she looked at me. I said, what happened? Why are you crying out of the kitchen? She goes, Pastor Ray, I saw something I've never seen before. I go, what did you see? And she said, I saw an older Korean man wash the dishes. <laughs> In her life, she had never seen a Korean man wash the dishes. That sort of, you know, her you know, parents, her dad, you know, kind of never did that. And she said, I, I saw this man wash the dishes. Now, here's the story that makes it even interesting. He wasn't just a, a, sort of a janitor. This man was the father of one of the kids. He was also CEO of a company. And to her, that amazed her that this guy who had been in this position was willing to be in the kitchen and wash everything, all the dirty dishes of all the kids. And that impacted her life so much. And I said, you know what? That should be the mark of every Christian. The problem that so many churches split, the problem that so many churches are sort of divided is because of arrogance. That rather than having the posture of how can I serve you, it's like, what can you give to me? And so one of the things that I challenge you here, one of the things that, that I want to encourage you as a church is I want this church to be different. That you can be the ones that serve one another. And you know what the beautiful thing? I'm not sure if you guys know the story. When, uh, when Steve and I talked about this retreat, he says, Pastor Ray, um, we're going to invite you to Australia. But I'm going to ask you if you would do something for me. There's a group that's meeting here. Uh, they are part of the denomination. And they don't have a speaker. <laughs> and, and the speakers fell through. Would you be willing to serve them. And, and, and I want to actually bring you here early so you can serve them. And I said, absolutely, Steve. He and you, actually as a church, actually sponsored me to speak to them. You guys gave yourself or you allowed allow me to, to serve them. But, but you are willing to go the extra mile to serve them. And I said, Steve, that's exactly the mindset that I want you guys to have. Because once you have a humility mindset, here's what God does. God then begins to elevate you. Not because you're worthy, but because God is worthy. So humility is not thinking lowly of yourself, but is elevating others. So I would love this church that whenever a new person comes, that rather than a typical church where you just congregate amongst your friends, that your first mindset is that whenever a new person comes, that that person is the one that we're going to elevate. How can we make this person feel welcome here? How can we love this person? How can we demonstrate? Because that truly is a humble spirit. Um, I'll tell you a, a, another funny story. When I was um, an intern uh, at this large Caucasian church, uh, they selected me. They, every year they select two uh, interns. Uh, to be a part of the church. And I was the first Asian they ever brought on. And, and I was very like, I didn't know how to, how to act because, you know, in a Korean church, 
uh, the senior pastor generally goes first and, you know, you open the door for him and he just kind of, you know, you're, you're way behind him, right? So I remember uh, in this church, it was uh, uh, just a casual lunch. At the end of our staff meeting, we were being introduced. The senior pastor, his name was Chuck Swindoll, a man who had written many books, uh, a guy who's on the radio, he was one, probably one of the most famous pastors in the U.S. He said, hey, Ray, let, let's go out to have lunch. So he, myself... Uh, another intern and another pastor went out to this Mexican restaurant. And something interesting happened. As we were driving to the restaurant, I had all these questions I wanted to ask him. Have you ever been around somebody that, that you like really admired and you want to have all these questions that you want to ask? And so, he, so I'm thinking, okay, what, I'm going to ask him, how did you start this church? Or, or how did you start writing your books? Or, or how, do you, how do you preach a better sermon? So I had all these questions in mind. Before I could even ask him a single question, he started asking me questions. So, Ray, tell me about your life. Tell me about your family. Tell me about uh, uh, your parents. Tell me how you grew up. And he just started uh, uh, sort of barraging me with questions. And then the most interesting thing, when, when we got to the restaurant, he opens the door and he opens the door for me. I never had a Korean senior pastor open the door for me. And, 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 and he asked me, what would you like? To? And I felt like, wow, the mark of humility is not your position, but how you leverage that position to elevate others. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus was the king who became a servant. And so if we have that mindset of humility, then you know what? You could be the president. You could be the, you, you could be, uh, uh, the top student and still elevate. And that's where you as a church are to mark your life as, as people who are humble before God. But here's the third thing. And this is the last thing I'll say is this, that here's your mission. Your motivation is love, your mindset is humility, and your mission is obedience. To do what God calls you to do, no matter if it's hard. That love, by definition, is characterized by obedience. If you love me, you will do what I command. That's what Jesus says. And so he, uh, uh, Jesus says to Peter, do you understand what I have done for you, he said, you call me teacher and Lord, verse 13, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And then Jesus says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is master greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know to do those things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus' point is this, because I have done this for you, I want you to obey and do this for one another. You know, some churches have actually taken this very literally where they actually have a foot washing service or denominations that do that. That's not the point that Jesus is making. He was actually, this was actually very customary. Everybody was, uh, foot washing was actually very common in their culture. What Jesus was describing was actually that the attitude and the mission is to do it out of obedience. So here's the question I would ask. If Jesus calls you to do anything, would you be willing to do it? A servant does not say yes or no. It's not an option. You're not an employee. You are a servant. You are a slave of God. And so the posture in which God calls us has to be one in which we say, God, I will do whatever you call me to do. And that's probably the scariest, scariest prayer. <laughs> You know why that's so scary? Because God may make you do that. So I had a, a pastor friend. It's so funny. Uh, in in uh, seminary, 
His name was John. And, and John would always pray, Lord, send me to Africa. Lord, send me to Africa. So one day I asked John, John, why, do you, why are you praying to go to Africa? Do you really want to go to Africa? He goes, no, I don't want to go to Africa. That's the last place I want to go. And I, his mindset is, if I pray for that, God's going to give me the opposite. So, you know, this is the mindset of a lot of us. It's like, Lord, you know, I don't want to do that, so I'm going to pray for that. Well, in reality, that's not the way God works. God's not going to call you. God's not going to make you marry somebody that you don't want to marry. Or God's not going to make you do something. I mean, that's not the way God works. God has something better for you. But the heart of, 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 a, of a servant has to be one in which you are willing to follow after God. Now, uh, for pastor's wives, I always joke about this, that I've never met a woman who wanted to be a pastor's wife. All my pastor's friends, their wives, none of them wanted to be a pastor's wife. And well, ended up when I said, um, you know, how did you end up being, you know, I, you could ask my wife. She didn't want to be a pastor's wife either. But, you know, the thing that was most important, it's not about that was really heard to say, you know, God, I'll do whatever you call me to do. And I think that's, that's our mindset. If God calls you to go overseas, would you do it? If God calls you to change your job, would you do it? As long as you have that posture, then you have a heart of a servant. And, and being an obedient servant is the hardest thing you can do. Because at the very core of our obedience goes back to the very question of motivation. Who do you love? Do you love yourself or do you love God? I'll tell you one final story, my, one of my favorite stories. By the way, it's not in the Bible. Uh, it's an apocryphal story, which means that it's sort of a parable. Elizabeth Elliot many years ago tells us a great story. And it's a story of Jesus and his disciples. And here's how the story goes. One day, Jesus calls his 12 disciples and says, Hey, guys, we're going to go on a field trip, just like you when you went down to the, to, the, uh, to the beach. And so as they're walking along, but instead of going to the beach, they're going up the, uh, of the mountain. So Jesus says, I want you guys, uh, as we go on this hike, I want you to uh, find any size stone you can find, put it in your hand, and follow me. So all the disciples went around and they kind of looked on the ground. They looked for different sized stones and they put it in their hand. They had no idea why God, what Jesus would uh, call them to hold a stone. But since Jesus said, so the disciples said, okay, I'll do it. Now it came to Peter. Peter did not want to do it. And so reluctantly, uh, he looked around. He found the smallest stone he could find, a pebble. And he put it in his hand, and he started going up. And Jesus starts to take them up this hill, and it's one of those hot days. You're sweating, and you're tired, and you're hungry. So they go on top of the hill. Jesus says, okay, disciples, I want you guys to sit in a circle. And they all sat in a circle. I want you to take out your, your rock, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys something. So they took out the rock, and Jesus said, let the rock be turned into bread. And the size that you brought... <laughs> was the size of the bread that you had. Size of the rock was the size of the bread. And so all these disciples had different sizes. But Peter, now, now history tells us Peter was a large man. So uh, he got very hungry. So he looked at this little crumb and he's like really upset. He's like, oh. And so he asked John, hey, John, can you give me some of your bread? And so John gives him some of his bread. So they learned their lesson. A few weeks later, Jesus calls the 12 disciples together and says, guys, come on, on a journey. I want you to go uh, pick up any size stone and follow me. So this time the disciples went around, and instead of finding a little stone, uh, they found a, a bigger rock. And they all ran, and, and they're carrying this big stone and big rock. And it came to Peter, and Peter, instead of finding a, a, a stone or rock, 
he looked for a big boulder so he could put on his shoulder. So he is now walking along, and so Jesus says, follow me. So instead of going up the mountain, this time they're going to, by the river. And so finally they get to the river. And Jesus says to his 12 disciples, okay, guys, I want you to stand along the river, and I want you to take the rock that you carried, and I want you to throw it in to the river. And so one by one, the disciples took the rock and threw it in the river, and you heard the splash of another one. So when it came to Peter, Peter had this big rock. And he goes, oh, I see what Jesus is doing. He's going to turn the, this rock into fish. And he's going to feed all of us. So he takes this big rock, throws it in, and you hear this big splash. And then Jesus says to his 12 disciples, guys, follow me. And Jesus turns around and he starts walking away. And one by one, all the disciples are following except for Peter. Peter is still standing by the river looking to see what's happening to that rock. And finally, his sort of confusion is turning now into anger and bitterness. He's saying, and he's getting really upset. And, and, and you could almost feel, he, he's not even turning around. He's still there. And Jesus, as he's walking along, he looks to see where Peter is. Peter's still back there. So Jesus tells his disciples, go on ahead of me. Let me talk to Peter. So Jesus turns around and walks over to Peter. And then he says, Peter, Peter, he taps him on the shoulder, Peter. And G Peter is giving Jesus a silent treatment. He's so upset. Peter, I want you to look at me. So Peter turns his head and Jesus says, Peter, for whom did you carry the stone? Peter, for whom did you carry the stone? Peter. For whom did you carry the stone? See, I think for many of us, we serve. Because not out of this attitude of gratitude that God gives to us, but we serve because somehow by serving, we think that God owes us something. See, really, it's not about God. It's about me. And I want to challenge you as a church that if there's anything that, that, that is marked. So imagine if we were to take a group picture in heaven together. What kind of picture would God take of you? Uh, uh, one in which there's a ladder in which that kind of symbolizes success. Or maybe a, a, a nice house in the suburb, suburbs. You know, we have 2.3 kids. I'm not sure how many kids you guys have here. But you have a, 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 a two-point-some kids, and then you have a white uh, picket fence. You have a, a, a nice car, a station wagon, or, or a minivan. Is that the picture that you want? What if that the picture that God wants of you is simply a picture of a towel? What if all of us stood together outside and that what we had in our hand was a towel? That this church, the chapel here in Sydney, is known for one thing. That this is the most serving church in the city of Sydney. Wouldn't that be great? Amen? And yeah, let's pray. Father God, so often in life, uh, our motivations get mixed. And we don't even realize why we do what we do. Sometimes we do it out of habit. Sometimes we do it out of guilt. Other times because maybe one time we were convicted at a retreat or a speaker and, and we do it, but not really thinking that the reason we do it is not because we are gaining something. We do it because you have gained, given us everything. 
So often, Father, sometimes our, our motives get mixed. And as we are here together, as we are celebrating the fifth anniversary of this church, that now we are at a different stage. We're not a child anymore to be served. That we are leaders now to serve. And leaders serve others. I pray, Father, that you would help us to grow in maturity. That our desire, Lord, is not to be served like, like infants, but rather to be adults, to serve our community, to serve the lost, to serve the people who are different than us, whether they're Chinese or whether they're uh, Aborigines, or whether they're white, whether Indonesian, whatever they are, that we are willing to do what it takes because you have done for us and you have given us everything. Father, stir our hearts, convict us. Maybe we need more people to serve here. Maybe we've been just coming to church every week. And maybe coming, we just think everybody else is doing it. But Lord, I pray that instead of having only a few serve, I pray that every single person in this room is motivated and mobilized. That they would ask the question, how can I serve one another? So Father, and for those of us who have been serving for many years, pastors, leaders, maybe our motives, we need to repent. Maybe we deserve, we think we deserve something because we have given up so much for you. But Lord, we have given up nothing for you in comparison to what you have given us. That even if you, if we don't get anything, the joy of serving you completely is joy enough. So, Father, I pray you would encourage us, move us, motivate us to be men and women who are willing to be defined by a towel. And that towel is to serve. In Jesus' name we pray.